You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good to see all of you. I want to I thank all you 49er fans who are spiritual today and, and recorded the game and came to church. So and my condolences to all you Cal fans. Cal lost to the worst team in Division I football yesterday, which makes Cal now the worst team Division I football. But it's, you know, it's normal for us Cal fans. We've been uh, doing this for years. So uh, I'm John, one of the pastors here. Um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a very sobering warning to everyone who assumes they're one of his followers. And I want to start with that today. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, which tells us that there are a lot more people who think they're Christians than actually are. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will come to me on that day, that is the day of judgment, the day that we each give an account of our lives to Christ, and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus says that on the final day, There'll be a lot of people who will assume they have a relationship with him because of how they served him. Didn't we preach? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we even do miracles in your name? Pretty impressive stuff. But Jesus says, but I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. You were just religious. How will he know that? because they practice lawlessness. Lawlessness is living as if we can do anything we want. So how do I know if I really know Christ? I obey him. I want to obey him. I want to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, he who has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me. Who loves Jesus? People who obey him. And I thought we're saved not by what we do, but by what Christ has done for us. Well, Jesus is not telling us how we're saved. He's telling us how to know if we're saved. We're not saved because we obey him. We obey him because we're saved. Obedience is just a sign that we really know him personally, that his will is more important to us than our will. Coming to Christ is more than just adding a little religion to your resume. It's a total transformation. I want to look at Hebrews. The, The writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah about the new covenant. 
And Jeremiah says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. We tend to look at the last part of that verse as salvation. Salvation is God forgiving all our sins promising he'll never remember the sins we've committed because Christ paid for them all at the cross. And that's true. But salvation is also total transformation. It's God giving us a new heart, a heart that has his laws on them, a heart that wants to do what he wants us to do. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And so in chapter 56 of Isaiah, we see this transformation, what salvation really is uh, illustrated. And that's what we're going to look at today. Let's pray as we jump into Isaiah again and uh, ask God to teach us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promise that as the Father has loved you, you love us. And you tell us to abide in your, in your love. That if we keep your commandments, we will abide and experience your love just as you kept your Father's commandments and abode in his love. And you tell us these things that your joy might be in us, that our joy might be made full. Lord, I pray that you will make clear to us that we uh, not only have the power to obey you today if you live in us, but it will be our greatest joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Isaiah, righteousness is a big topic. And in chapters 1 through 39, righteousness is defined as keeping God's laws, which Israel has failed to do for centuries, which is why God is taking them out of the promised land and sending them into exile into Assyria and into Babylon. Israel failed completely to keep God's laws. That's chapters 1 through 39. This is the bad news part of, of Isaiah. Not only bad news for them, bad news for us. Because we don't keep God's laws, do we? We don't need more rules. We don't keep the rules we have. We don't need to try harder. We need to be changed. And that brings the good news section, which begins in chapter 40. And chapter 40 through 55 is how God makes us righteous. 1 through 39, how Israel failed to be righteous and how we fail to be righteous because we are born slaves of sin. How God makes us righteous. And we learned all about the servant, how the servant becomes a man, lives the life we fail to live so God can credit his perfect record of obedience to us as a gift dies the death we deserve to die on the cross, bearing our punishment so God can, can forgive all who repent. God imputes his righteousness to us, which is a theological way of saying God credits his righteousness to us in chapters 40 through 55. But then in chapter 56 through 66, the servant not only imputes his righteousness to us, 
He imparts his righteousness to us. He comes to live in our lives, give us the ability and the desire and the power to obey him and live the same kind of life that he lived. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How the servant transforms us. And we're going to look at two things today. What transformation looks like from the first eight verses of Isaiah 64. And then we're going to look at a real practical part of of Romans uh, to see how this works out in real life, what trans- how transformation happens in, in our lives. That makes sense? Let's start with Isaiah 64. Thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness. Why? For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness, that is my way of making people righteous, to be revealed. Last week, Jeff talked about the servant's invitation to be saved. He he says, whoever is thirsty, come. Whoever has no money, come and and receive bread without cost. If, If you lack satisfaction, if you lack life, if you're thirsty for something more, come to me. It's this, it's this invitation to salvation is free to everybody who wants it. But then he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the wicked man forsake his ways. And let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. For my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So that faith in accepting the invitation, always involves repentance. What was the first thing Jesus preached when he came? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is just the other side of the coin of faith. I can't have true faith unless I'm willing to repent, because what is salvation but being saved from our sins? And if I don't want to be saved from my sin, if I don't want to live a new kind of life, I really don't have faith. That's the idea. So so now in chapter 56, Isaiah continues this invitation about what repentance looks like, how people with real faith in the Savior will live. Remember, we, we don't obey to be saved. We do obey because we are saved, because God has given us a new heart. So he says, preserve justice, and do righteousness. Why? For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of this, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Why do we obey? We don't obey to be saved. We obey to be blessed. There there is a theme that runs from the beginning of the Bible through the end that God wants to bless us. And that word bless means to to be endued with divine power for the attainment of safety, satisfaction, and success. Anybody here want to be blessed? We do. Do you know who God blesses throughout the Bible? God blesses the obedient. God blesses those who keep his commandments. 
So now that you're saved, Isaiah says, now that you've come to the servant, now that you've been transformed, obey so that you can be blessed. Now, I miss this for a lot of times. When I was a younger Christian, I figured it this way. Christ has forgiven all my sins. It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't matter how I live because I'm already forgiven. Well, I found out it did matter how I lived because I found out that when I was a jerk, people didn't want to be around me. When I gave in to fear or indulged my fleshly desires or held a grudge, I was miserable. And I learned I could not be a happy child of God without obeying God. Salvation does not change the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 6 and 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. He who sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. So the quality of my life is determined by my daily choices. And God gives me the power through Christ to make the kind of choices that he can bless. Does that make sense? And so that's what, that's what Isaiah is saying here. Now that you've accepted the servant's invitation, obey so you can be blessed. So who are the true people of God? Those who obey him. Just what Jesus is saying at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And so this changes the way we look at who really belongs to God and who doesn't. And, and Isaiah underlines this, the, the difference that the servant makes, by taking two groups that the Jews thought could never be part of their people, eunuchs and foreigners. The law said eunuchs are emasculated men and foreigners, non-Jews, cannot be part of the assembly of Israel, cannot worship God with Israel. But look now, now that the servant has come, look what's changed. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than those of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, that is, put their faith in the Messiah, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, Everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. 
The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. God says, I'm not just interested in Jews. I'm the God of all nations, of everybody. And so everybody is a candidate to become a member of my family, even those who were previously eliminated. How do you know if you're one of God's people? You've been transformed. How do you know you've been transformed? You obey God. That's good news, isn't it? Good news. So how does that work out practically? What's, what's this transformation look like? One of the passages that has helped me more than any others to make the, the bridge between wanting to obey God and actually being able to obey him is Romans chapter 6. And I want to go over that briefly with you. If you've been at Creekside any time you've heard this before, you get to hear it again. Because I think this is the foundational passage in the Bible for how we obey God. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? Paul has been talking about the greatness of God's grace. How where sin abounds, grace abounds more. You can never out-sin the grace of God. No, no matter what you've done because of the value of Christ's death, it can be forgiven. All things will be forgiven if you put your faith in Christ. So Paul asked the natural question, well, if I can't exhaust God's grace, should I just continue to live the way I've always lived before I came to Christ? Should I just continue to sin? Like I thought, is it grace just a get-out-of-jail-free card? And Paul says, may it never be. Now, I want you to imagine you have a friend who calls himself a Christian, and yet he says to you, you know, I'm not worried about sin like you are, because I know I've been forgiven, that no matter what I do, God's forgiven me, so I'm just going to live any way I want to. What would you say to a person like that? Well, you might say, you're going to dishonor God. You're going to be a bad example. You're not going to have any joy. You'll be a hypocrite. Are those things true? That is true. That's not the reason Paul gives. Paul says we shouldn't continue in sin, not because of what will happen to us if we do, but because of what has happened to us already. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Now, as 21st century Americans, dying to something doesn't make a lot of sense to us, too. Because we think of death and life as absolute states. You're either dead or alive. So how can you be dead to something? You ever heard somebody say, she's dead to me? What, is it, what did they mean? Did they mean she died? No, she's still alive. But as far as they're concerned, she's dead. She no longer exists. And that's the way the first century Jew thought of death and life. It was in terms of not of existence, but of relationships. Remember in the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should surely die. 
Did they die that day? Yeah, they died. They died in their relationship to God. They were cut off from God. That's why they began to die physically. They were separated from God. They no longer had a relationship with God because they rebelled against him. Did they cease to exist? No. Adam continued to live for 930 years. So when we talk about death and life, we need to talk about what am I alive to? What am I dead to? And Paul says here, we should not continue to practice sin, to live under the dominion of sin because something has happened that has radically changed my relationship with sin. Let's see what happened. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now, key word there is baptized. When we think of the word baptized, we think of getting wet. But baptism is just a symbol of of the truth behind this passage. The word baptized originally came from dyers of cloth. They would, they would put the cloth into the dye, and when they pulled it out, it came out something completely different. And so they said, we're baptizing it. And so gradually, the word came to mean in common language to be brought under the transforming influence of something, to come into relationship with something that totally changes you like dye changes the cloth. That that was what the word meant when Paul wrote it. So what were we baptized into? We were baptized into Christ. When, When we become Christians, Jesus comes to live in us. And the instant he comes to live in us, we are transformed into something different. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Here's the argument. The instant Christ comes into my life, Instant I am baptized into him, everything that's true of him becomes true of me. So first of all, when Christ comes into my life, I die. The old John Bruce, the old slave to sin, that old sinner died. Now, I thought I was just praying a prayer to ask Jesus to come into my life, but what really happened in that instant when I was born again, I died, I'm gone. That, that old man is gone. So, for being dead, I certainly have a lively corpse, you'd say. Well, it doesn't stop there. God kills me so that he can raise me with Jesus. Jesus dies, is buried, rises again, So when I come into a relationship with him, he comes into my life. I am killed and then raised a brand new person. I look the same on the outside, but but I'm a completely new person on the inside. Does that make sense? So becoming a Christian is the most radical change that you can imagine. The old you died. And a new you was resurrection, resurrected. I can't be a new creation if the old creation 
didn't, wasn't gotten rid of. I can't be born again if the guy who was born the first got time is still around. You see what I mean? So this is not talking about a gradual process of your old person gradually dying and the new you gradually getting stronger. No, that's not what happens. What happens is the instant Christ comes into your life, you experience this transformation. And then over time, we began to experience more and more the changes that being a new person has made the time that we were baptized into Christ. Are you with me? So Paul says, should I continue to sin? No, God has raised me from the dead so I can live a new life. That's, that's essentially what he says. So my baptism into Christ not only changes my relationship with Christ, it changes my relationship with sin. For if we've become united with him, that's the idea of baptism, that's the idea of him coming into me and me being in him, and everything true of him becoming true of me, if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, this is not talking about the resurrection of our body, which obviously hasn't happened yet. This is talking about the resurrection of you, the person who lives in the body. Death is not something we look forward to. Death is something we look back on. Did you get that? You already died. And the resurrection is not something you just look forward to. It's something you look back on. You are a resurrected new creation living in the old body. It's the invasion of the body snatchers. You look the same, but you're, you're a completely different person inside. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. Here's the key part now. That our old self was crucified with him. Who died? Who died? You, your old self, the person you used to be apart from Christ. This is not about dying to sin. This is not about taking up your cross or any of those things. You are dead. The old you died. They're gone. They've been buried. Why? In order that our body of sin might be done away with, literally, that our body of sin might be made powerless. That's what that word means. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Why does God kill me? To free me from sin. Does that make sense? When Paul wrote this, a third of the, of the Roman population were slaves. And most of those people were slaves for life. They would always be slaves of their master until the day they died. And once they died, they were finally free of their master. So Paul uses this as a picture of what happens to us. We are born slaves of sin. God doesn't kill the sin. God kills the slave. Does that make sense? So to free me from my slavery to sin, God kills the slave and raises a free man who now can say no to the old master. Are you with me here? Now, what's he mean by our body of sin? He means our body. I'm a new man. I'm living in an old body, progressively getting older. 
And that old body is where sin dwells. Sin has not changed. Sin is still in my body. Still, sin is still trying to reign over me. Sin is still giving me commands. You ever hear the commands of sin? Don't let her say that about you. Get back at her. Don't let that jerk cut you off. Honk your horn. Where'd that pain come from? Oh, I'm probably going to die. Sin is constantly talking to us. It's still trying to reign. So what's changed? The person hearing those commands. No longer a slave, but a free man, a free woman. Are you with me here? God put me to death with Christ so he could raise me with Christ so that I could be freed from sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Look at it this way. Ship going across the sea has an evil captain, abuses the men, doesn't let the crew have breakfast. He's just a horrible captain to work with, right? And so the owners of the ship at the next, at the next port of call, they fire the old captain, they put in a new captain. The new captain's a great guy, takes care of the men, cares for them. But the old captain stays on board and he continues running around the ship, giving orders just like he always did. Some of the crew obey him because they don't know they don't have to obey him anymore. Some of the crew obey him just out of habit. They've always obeyed him, so now they obey him. Okay. Who's the new captain? Who's the new captain? Jesus, right? Who's the old captain? Sin. Who's the crew? Us. What's the boat? Your body. Does that make sense? So even though you're a Christian, you're living in the same old body with a new transformed spirit, and you have to choose Will I say yes or will I say no to the old captain? He doesn't have power anymore to order me around. He's been removed as the captain, but he's still trying to act like a captain. He's still giving orders. I have to decide, no, I've been freed. Now, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in Romans 6. How do we, how do we apply this to our lives and then we're done, okay? This is what transformation looks like. This is how you live out the transformation that happened the day you were born again, okay? Look what Paul says. Um, let's start at the bottom there. First of all, you have to believe it. You have to believe it. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, right? Now, being dead to sin does not mean being deaf to sin. It just means I'm, I'm not a slave anymore. I died. And so you have to believe sin no longer has power over me. I struggled with I struggle with a lot of sins, but I struggle with one particular sin that I beg God for years to deliver me from. You ever do that? Oh, God, please take this sin away. And God never answers, I've noticed. He never takes that sin away. He just keeps 
failing, 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 failing. So I, I wanted to understand how do I experience the power of God, this, the power of God's spirit to free me from sin. So finally, I memorized Romans 6 to, to, so I could understand it. And I finally realized when I read, even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin. I realized I never thought that I was already freed from sin, that I already had the power to say no. I had been asking God to do something he already done. I just didn't act on it. I just didn't believe it. So the next time the temptation to sin came along, I didn't pray, oh God, help me, help me, help me, help me. Here, I'm going to sin, and then go sin. This time I just said, no. No. And the temptation went away. And the next time that temptation came, I said a little more confidently, no. And the temptation went away. And what I realized was I'd always had the power to say no to sin because I'd been born again. I'd been transformed by Jesus. I'd been united with Christ. I just never used it. So the way you experience transformation, first you have to believe you've been transformed. Because sin will do everything he can to deceive you that you're the same old person again. Does that make sense? Second, you've got to believe it. Second, you've got to say no to sin. Let's go. Can you go next one? Thank you. Therefore, so you consider yourself to be dead to sin. Second, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. What is sin trying to do right now? Same thing it's always tried to do. It's reign over you, right? The slave master does not die. The slave died. Being dead to sin doesn't mean you can no longer hear sin's voice. Sin's always talking to you. What's changed is the person hearing the voice. No longer a slave who has no choice, but a free person who does have a choice. And so once I understand who I am, that I've been transformed by Christ, I now can say no to that old master. Nah, that's just sin. I know that voice. No, I'm not going to. I found obedience always starts with no. Because sin is always tempting us to do something other than the will of God. Isn't it? And so the more you can identify, oh, I know that voice. That's sin. You know, sin always speaks in the first person. Have you noticed that? Sin always says, I should do this. I should do that. And you think that it's you who wants that. It's not you who want that. Because God has written his laws on your heart. You want to be righteous. You want to be obedient. You want to be a child of God. If you don't want those things, you haven't been born again. But sin deceives you to think, no, I want that old stuff. No, that's sin who wants that. And so I've got to say, no. And your, your life will never change until you learn to say no. All sin is is old habits. 
It's, you've always responded the same way in this circumstance. You might as well. How do you break a habit? No. No, I'm not going to do that. No. And the more often you say no, the more used to you get to saying no, till finally saying no becomes a habit. Does that make sense? So you got to believe it. You got to believe that you've been transformed. And then you got to live like a transformed person and say no every time sin speaks to you. And really, Christian growth is really just having your mind transformed so you recognize sin's voice. And you say, ah, no, that's not what God wants me to do. I know, who the, I know who's talking to me. You're the, old, you're the old captain. You're just noisy. You don't have any power. Shut up. I'm, and that brings us to the last thing is say yes to God. Present yourself. Go back one. I'm sorry. I'm right in the middle of that slide. But present yourself to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Believe, say no, say yes. Christ frees us from sin, not so that we can be free agents and do whatever we want. He frees us from sin so we can obey God and be blessed by him. That's the whole point of, of, of Isaiah here. So I've got to say, not only say no to sin, but what does God want me to do? And say yes. And usually it's going to be by faith because it's going to feel unnatural because you've never built the habit of obeying God in that area. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to love strangers. And it feels so unnatural to me to be the one who initiates, the one who reaches out, the, the warm one, the concerned one. I like to wait for people to reach out to me because there's no risk in that. Have you noticed that? And so it's really unnatural for me to do it. But it's like sports. When you start learning a sport, you feel really awkward because you've never done it before. But the more you practice it, the more natural it becomes. Same with obedience. Saying yes to God, it's going to feel unnatural at first because you never did it before. But the more you do it, the more natural it becomes to simply live this way and to be blessed by God. Does that make sense? So, so today, pick one area of your life where you've been listening to sin consistently. And what will be the reminder that, oh, that's sin talking to me. I need to say no. That's what you need to think about. What's going to remind me? Maybe it's a feeling. Maybe it's whenever I start to feel hurried. I know, okay, wait a minute, that hurried feeling, that's not the way God wants me to talk. Because God says, don't hurry. He says, wait on me. So if I start to feel hurried and anxious, I okay, I'm listening to sin. And then you say, no, I'm not going to be hurried. I'm going to trust God. See what I mean? So figure out what is the trigger that will help to remind you that sin is talking to you. And then what are you going to do? Say no. No. Are you with me here? And then after you say no, what are you going to say yes to? I'm going to say, what does God want me to do here? Well, he doesn't want me to hurry. Why not? Because he's in control. So I'm going to say, okay, God, you're in control here. I know I'm half an hour late for my flight, and we're in the middle of traffic and stuff like that. But, you know, you're in control. It's okay. I'm not God. You're God. I'm the creation. I'm a pretty good creation. I'm a horrible creator. You're in control of this. I can't control. You, you know, if you want me to be on that flight, I'll be on the flight. If you don't, it'll probably crash. So <laughs> I'm good. I'm good either way. I'm good on the flight. I'm not off. You see what I'm saying? 
Let me summarize transformation by the last verse here. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law but under grace. Shall I continue in sin that grace may increase? No. Your sin will not be master over you, for you're not under law but under grace. Law is my efforts. Law is my power. It's what I do. And my efforts are what enslave me to sin because sin is more powerful than I am. Grace is God's efforts, God's power through his son. And his power through his son frees me from the mastery of sin. And so this, I just need to believe what he says he's done for me, act upon it, and be transformed. You will never be transformed into Christ-likeness by being passive. By praying, oh God, please make me like Jesus. <laughs> you got to be active. I am not a slave of sin. I'm going to say no to sin. I'm going to say yes to God every day. I'm going to practice this till I get it right. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you have saved us not only from the penalty of our sins. You saved us from the power. And I pray you'll help us to behave as free people because you've transformed us, we pray in Jesus' name.